invite you please to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, verses 20 and 21 today. Now, of course, we are in the midst of that part of our Lord's life that I see as very holy ground as our Savior travels just another step, one more step forward to the cross of Calvary. And picking up in verse 20, it says, And after they had mocked him, they took the purple off him and put his garments on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they pressed into service a passerby coming from the country, Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Lord, as we consider now your word and consider this part of your word that is most holy and sacred as it describes what our Savior endured, I pray, Lord, that we would come before you with those spiritually hungry hearts and spiritually hungry minds to be fed in the word of God, believing believing that it is your word that sanctifies us in the truth. And we would pray, Father God, that our minds would be renewed in the truth, that we would be not conformed to this world, but transformed that we would discover what the will of God is, that which is perfect and holy. And so we plead with your spirit now to be our guide, our teacher, to speak to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. I am so glad to say the Resurrection Sunday isn't so far off. And on that wonderful weekend, we get to celebrate with great joy the victory that our Savior won for us on the cross of Calvary, the victory over sin and death. On that day, rejoicing will fill our hearts and we'll cry out, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. But I ask us, what kind of people would we be if we just simply glossed over that agonizing journey that occurred from sunset until the next day on the Jewish Passover? What kind of people would we be if we cheapened the price our holy God paid as a just ransom for our sin? What kind of people would we be if because of our own personal embarrassment and shame we rushed ahead to avoid the unhappy truth that the pure, spotless, unblemished lamb of God bore in his body and weighed upon his spirit and soul the filthy stench and maggoty infestation of our sins.
Stick your head, if you dare, beneath the lid of a trash can where inside there is rotten, stinking, maggoty meat. You know that summer smell. Let your nostrils be filled with its putrid decay. You get the picture. Then consider how it was our sin that was laid upon the Holy Son of God, the one who died to make his enemies his eternal friends, the one who now calls us his children. What a glorious Savior we worship. Amen? What a glorious Savior who sits on high until his enemies are made his footstool. Beloved, there is no such thing, at least not here at Grace Calvary, there is no such thing as casual Christianity. Not if you live beneath the long shadow of the cross. There is no such thing as convenient Christianity. Not if repentance blossomed in faith and gave rise in your heart, being full, as I'm sure you are today, of an everlasting gratitude, knowing what God has done for you. And if truth be told, if I call myself a Christian and yet I immerse my life in the gods of this rebellious worldly culture, I am only trampling underfoot the Son of God and insulting the spirit of grace. You know, Hebrews 12, 29 is a riveting verse. It says, for our God is a consuming fire. So there's no place in the house of God. There's not even a corner closet in the sanctuary of his people for a gospel message that dilutes the clarion call of Romans 5, 6. For a while, we were still helpless. Oh, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And dear Christian friend, I don't know about you, but I never tire hearing about the old rugged cross. I never tire of the old redemptive story. I never grow weary marveling how the grace of God is greater than all my sin. Don't you love to sing that? Grace that is greater than all our sin. Because I know ever since that day, the Spirit of God opened my heart in 1968. My life, I have found my life would have no true meaning if it wasn't for the Savior's cross that saved me from all my sins. That cross, that cross, you know... Consider, if you will, that if there is a symbol of symbols that communicates the heart and soul and center of our faith, it's the cross, isn't it? And there's something that's peculiar about the cross, a strangeness, if you will, because we wear it as beautiful jewelry that adorns as fashion wear or as ornate sanctuary symbols carved with craftsmanship, and yet it belies and contradicts the horrific truth that that was no piece of jewelry in the day of Christ. 
That's where the Romans executed. That's how they executed people. And they did it that way to inflict as much immeasurable pain and suffering as they could. That was the Roman method, pure torture. And so, as we read in Hebrews chapter 2, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? For we must pay even much more attention, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. And quite honestly, what God's church needs is not for its ears to be tickled. What lost people need is not more fast food religion, but like the angels of heaven. Remember how the angels of heaven, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1.12, he says the angels why they even long to look into this great salvation. They long to look into the gospel of the cross. And what the church needs is what the apostle Paul preached. Two words, Christ crucified. Because that's where the victory is found. Now first consider with me in this passage today, what is presumed is, that another man is, is brought forward. He's commanded to carry our Savior's cross. And if you remember from a couple of weekends ago, you know the horrible truth. Looking back at verse 15 there in your Bibles, of course, wishing to satisfy the multitude, the Bible says, verse 15, Pilate released Barabbas for them, and after having Jesus scourged, he delivered him to be crucified. I am not going to go back and talk again about what that meant. But the key word in that verse is the word scourged. That, as we know, that cruel whip raked the body of our Lord Jesus. And in verses 16 through 20, if you just glance at those verses, the soldiers, of course, what did they do? They made sport of the Lord Jesus. And some of us may have even seen movies that depict these things. I don't know about you, I remember sitting in a movie some years ago and watching and finding it very difficult to watch, wanting to look away. In fact, even as I said, I wasn't going to talk about that word scourged again because it's so, so horrible to think about. Actually, Pastor Craig said, Craig said thank you because we don't want to go back there. We know how difficult it was. Verse 20 says, so they led Jesus out to be what? Crucified. But in verse 21, something happens here, and that is the Romans command another man to carry the Savior's cross. It's, why, why did that happen? It's, yeah, exactly, because they tortured Jesus so much. He didn't have the strength left to carry that cross to Golgotha. And so secondly, this man is pressed into service. We're told his name was Simon the Cyrene. Now, Cyrene was located, it's located in North Africa. And most likely, the reason why Simon had come to Jerusalem was for what? The Passover. Imagine that man there for the Passover, probably never imagined what was going to happen in his life. And, and perhaps this Simon, I don't know, but perhaps 
when he was in Jerusalem, he had had heard the commotion. Maybe he had heard the crowds crying out, crucify him, crucify him. I, I don't know. Or maybe Simon heard when they were beating the Lord Jesus. But a Roman soldier, as I imagine this in my mind, I just imagine a Roman soldier looking into the crowd that had gathered and seeing Simon, just one man, maybe an able-bodied person, grabbing him. You, you look strong enough. Grabbing him by the collar and telling him, you carry his cross. Now, as it turns out, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that man's name, Simon. And some people believe, by the way, that from that event, Simon himself became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Gospel of Mark in verse 21 tells us something the other Gospels don't tell us, and that is the names of his two sons, Alexander and Rufus. Now, whether it's the same man or not, in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, when Paul was writing to that church of people, he mentions in a long list of names this fellow Rufus. And the name Alexander, that occurs in many, many places in the New Testament, not necessarily always referring to the same individual. It it just may be that maybe Mark knew these two individuals, or, or maybe they played some sort of role in God's church, we just don't know. But most likely, they all became followers of the Lord Jesus. But Simon, had he planned to carry the Savior's cross? No. But I believe that when God laid that cross, and not just the Romans laid it on him, because I think everything was foreordained by God, but when that cross was laid on Simon... That man was learning something about the sovereign grace of God that brought him to that blessed hope, to forgiveness that was going to be rendered on that tree. Reminds me, this Simon, of my own testimony. Simon wasn't looking to carry the cross. When I was seven years old, I wasn't really looking for God. I mean, I heard about God. Parents talked about him. Sin, what was that? For me, the routine was, now I lay me down to sleep. Any of you ever pray that when you were little? Pray the Lord my soul to keep. I didn't have any clue about the gospel until that day the Spirit of God opened my blind eyes to see. And I think that's what God probably was doing here in the life of Simon. Personally speaking, the Apostle Paul, he wrote in 2 Timothy 1.9 that it was by the power of God that he saved us. That God has called us with a holy calling. Oh, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was granted us in Christ Jesus Listen to this, from all eternity. For Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, why in Jesus Christ we have been forever known to God. People say, you know, 
I don't feel so good about myself. Well, you should when you consider who you are in Jesus Christ. You've been forever known by God. You've been predestined by God that you will be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, some of us make it difficult, but God's going to get us there. And that's why he has called us. That's why he's justified and declared us righteous. And that's why someday we'll be glorified in his most glorious presence. Why? Because we have the greatest high priest of them all, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of heaven and the King of earth. And oh, he shed his blood on our behalf. But there's another component to this message today. And it's one of personal application. Because as I was thinking about this just very simple event of this Roman soldier dragging this guy out and grabbing him and and putting the Savior's cross on him, I thought about something else. How you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, we too have been pressed into service to carry a cross. Do you believe that? I do. Jesus said, for example, Matthew 10, 38, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. In Matthew 16, 24, and Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Luke 14, 27 states it this way. Jesus said, whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I ask you this question, in what sense, in what sense do we bear our own cross? Uh, let me just say, it's, it's not because we are to carry a cross because we need to die for our own sins. Because only Christ could do that and did that. And furthermore, to carry our own cross doesn't mean that you and I have to suffer in such a way in order to secure God's justice and satisfaction, to secure our salvation. Is, is that what carrying the cross is about? Oh, no. Because if that's, what it was, if, if that's what it's about, then Christ's death on Calvary would have been a needless death. If I could secure my salvation myself, oh, no, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. But carrying our own cross is about self-denial. It means really laying aside my own will. So much so, I'm, I desire with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength to pursue not my will, but God's will. When we carry our cross, we are identifying ourselves as what? As followers of Jesus Christ. Why, in Jesus Christ, Romans 6.10, we have died to sin, and now we live to who? Self? No. We live to God. Why, if we carry this cross, Romans 6 tells us, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too... What is carrying this cross that we too might walk in newness of life? 
For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. You see, when I carry my cross, I'm identifying myself with Jesus I'm saying that old life is gone. It's dead and gone. I'm resurrected in Jesus Christ. My life is now to live for the glory of God. Paul expressed it so beautifully in Philippians 1.21. For me to live, you know it, for me to live is Christ. He goes on and he writes later in Philippians 3.7. Whatever things were gained to me, In other words, whatever I had, oh, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. That is carrying the cross. More than that, he says, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see, that's why I never grow weary or tired of hearing the gospel message. It just reminds me over and over again of what God has done for me. And how about for you as well? For whom, Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them but rubbish, garbage, trash, in order that I may gain Christ. That is carrying the cross, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That is what it means to carry the cross. Years ago, someone said to me, Pastor, how come you quote so much scripture? My answer is because the Spirit of God declares it much better than I ever could. Because taking up the cross means, for you and me, it means that we're serious about living for God. That we're heaven-bent, shall we say, on waging war with our flesh, with the devil and the world. I had it, woke up this morning to a nightmare and it just felt evil. And I don't know, I was, I was still half asleep, but I rebuked the devil right out of that, my mind. We wage war. We're in a war, aren't we? A spiritual battle, a battle that calls us again and again to confess our sins, to flee to the cross of Calvary. Where are you at with the Lord this weekend? Now, don't raise a hand and don't call out and tell me. I don't want to embarrass anyone, but seriously, have you become spiritually lukewarm of late with your Lord? I find myself so busy sometimes, I don't, have, don't do some things I should be doing. And, and yesterday, with all the projects I had laid out for the day, I said to myself, now you get over in that chair and you sit down and have a time of prayer. Do you need to do that? Has something taken you off the path where maybe you've set your cross down 
to do something that you would rather pursue that you know God doesn't want you to do? Have any of us become complacent or lazy here about our spiritual habits that otherwise we know we need when we carry that cross? Carrying that cross means who's sitting on the throne of your life? There's some people who say that that's a one-time decision. I think that's an a everyday decision. Is Jesus there? Or are you trying to force Jesus off the seat? Who occupies it in your life? Somebody might say, now, Pastor Dan, be careful, because you're making me feel convicted. We're coming to the Lord's table in just a moment. If you need to be convicted, then be convicted. I get convicted. I'm glad when I do, because I know that until I get down on my knees and get things right, there's no going forward. Oh, let the word of God speak today, because only the truth will set us free. What a glorious Savior we serve. And Father, as we come to your table, this holy table of the Lord, and we consider what the Savior did for us on the cross of Calvary, we consider this man who was pulled out of a crowd to carry the Savior's cross, and we too have been taught by you to carry our own cross, to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ, and the victory that was won in his cross, that you, Lord God, in Jesus Christ, we have now died to sin, and that we would live to God. And I pray, Father, now as we gather at this table, and as the the bread is passed and the cup is passed, that we will examine our own hearts. And yes, Lord, if we're lukewarm today, we confess that. Yes, Lord, if we've become lazy or complacent of late of spiritual habits, we confess that. And we thank you for the joy of restoration. We thank you for the joy of salvation. And we thank you, Lord, for the blessed hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you all the praise and all the glory forever and ever and ever and ever more, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.